You're listening to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, your host. This week, I invite Dr. Don Dudley on the show. He is a chiropractor and ART specialist and works for the Buffalo Sabres, that NHL team in upstate New York. He also travels over to Rochester, where he does a little bit of work with some of the sports teams there. We're just going to dive right in and talk about how chiropractic care and ART fit into the world of professional sports. Hope you enjoy. Be sure to subscribe. I'm curious, though, where did you go? Did you go to Davenport, Iowa, to Palmer Chiropractic, or where did you head? No, I went to New York Chiropractic College uh, in Seneca Falls, New York, and I grew up in western New York and originally started, actually, uh, my neighbor was a chiropractor and helped me out at a young age, and it got my wheels spinning. Uh, He fixed me right before an important soccer game, and I really could not get my head off of how did he know something was wrong, and then how was he able to fix it, and I ended up doing an internship of sorts with him every year for a couple of years. He'd have me come and shadow him for two weeks here and there and pretty quickly told me, if you want to really be good at what you do, you need to go spend some time with my physical therapist friend. And uh, I went to work with a guy named Dick Bondi in a local hospital. And I spent about five years there through high school and my undergrad. Every time I was home, my summer's off, I would go and uh, just hang around the PT clinic and help out. And eventually they started paying me a little bit of money. And uh, it led to uh, a meeting of the minds of sorts. They met me out at lunch one day and we talked all about the pros and cons of PT or chiropractic. And at that time to be a PT, you needed to be under uh, the guise of a medical umbrella. And they could see in me that I wanted to venture off a little bit and make a practice of my own styling. So they encouraged me to go to chiropractic school, which I did. And um, incidentally, it's really interesting that you go to the college and speak to the kids or the kids, the students, uh, because the strength and conditioning end of it, in my opinion, was one of the things that was missing when I went through chiropractic college. Um, So back in the late 90s, um, it was very much driven toward neuromotor programming and and chiropractic methodology, but the loading aspect of it was missing for me, even as, you know, an average athlete, I'll say that's probably pretty lofty too, but um, (laughs) (laughs) it was an important thing for me to learn along the way that there's a lot more out there. Um, So I'm a chiropractor by training, but over the years I've become a a broader manual therapist and that's what I try to bring to the table. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it does. It's, it does. I love, I, I love your role with the Buffalo Sabres and their open-mindedness to, to envelop everything that you offer. I mean, and not just chiropractic, but like you say, soft tissue, definitely want to talk more about that, but mm-hmm. you're the first person on the show and to to my knowledge where I've connected with somebody in chiropractic medicine in the professional sports world do you have colleagues that are also doctors of chiropractic that uh that are connected to other NHL teams or for that matter any professional teams yeah there's a few of us out there in all the major sports um actually um ART has a lot of chiropractic level people that come in and end up working in professional sport. But um, I was 
honestly kind of lucky to be located where I am in Rochester, New York. Uh, we're considered to be a minor league city and um, we have minor league soccer, basketball, hockey, lacrosse. We have major league lacrosse for several years, uh, arena football, uh, lots of different um, professional sports that had room and availability for somebody like me to edge in. And, and really, um, it's a credit to all those people that they were open-minded enough to allow me to come in and get my feet wet in the sports industry and, and to grow and develop through them. And um, that's how I was able to develop into pro hockey, um, which has been the neatest thing in the world for me, to be honest with you, to be able to combine something that I love with making a living, you know, it, it's just everything I could ever ask for. And that's what drives me to try and be better at it all the time and, and, and to work with all the great people that are around those organizations. And, you know, credit to the Sabres organization, as you said, they've always been open-minded and allowing me work through their minor league system and to get to Buffalo. And they're always trying to incorporate more and, um, I really have to say like that all happens because of communication that happens when you're willing to be open and have discourse with other disciplines and see where you overlap and see where there's gaps. And none of that would happen if the people in those settings weren't good communicators and interested themselves. And um, it doesn't mean it's always easier straight ahead, you know, movement, but um, I think it's really a credit to the people around me that they've allowed me to come in and, and display some things that can be helpful and, and to develop out more over time. That's really what we're working on now is um, how can I do more and, and bring more of the different skill sets that I've learned over the years to the table in a functional way. Um, that's my current challenge, meaning uh, I need more time with the athletes and it's not uh, a lack of exposure it's actually fitting into the athlete day or the athlete week or month and and getting the right amount of time to maybe do a proper and complete movement screen and maybe look at some neuromotor correctives that require a little bit of time and and education back and forth and looking at demand and keeping an eye on their load and you know where where is all of that at you know and then you throw in the chiropractic stuff too, you know, which is really helpful. And, and um, I, I can't say enough about being able to do that, but it takes some deference in knowing when to bring a mobility solution. You know, sometimes stability or uh, a motor dysfunction is not calling for, mo you know, a mobilization or, you know, an, an adjustment of a joint. Um, it requires other tools. And that's where, again, communication, um, being able to have some visibility with the athletes. I like to watch people move. Um, that, that took a little while at first in pro sport. A lot of times oh, yeah. people want you to come in and treat everybody and then move along. And, you know, over the years, I was able to get to know all the trainers well enough and the general managers well enough to, to say, I really need to see how this, this athlete runs or skates or, you know, how do they do something offhanded? How do they golf? You know, um, those types of exposure tell as much, if not more, as a good clinical intake and movement screen and orthopedic testing. But all of it, full circle, requires good open communication.
Now, what is in your toolbox? You mentioned ART and of course, chiropractic adjustments. Uh, what else do you have that you've accumulated over the years? I'd, I got my CSCS a few years ago, mostly so I could communicate and speak the language and understand the, the approach. Um, I've played around a little bit with DNS and uh, recently uh, just dipping my toes in the water with Scott and Jamie Livingston with some neural reconditioning, which is really cool stuff. And again, it's you get a little bit of that in chiropractic school and then you can further diversify into that. But um, those types of correctives are really, really interesting to me. And um, most recently through COVID, I've been kind of trying to take a deeper dive into flow state and skill acquisition and, and other avenues where I can be helpful sometimes without the athlete necessarily even knowing, or maybe just trying to gather contextual stuff about the athlete and, and get a broader sense of what's going on with them besides, hey, you're in for training today. And um, just that's why I say that I, I continually integrate because I continually realize a broader need and there's all sorts of skill sets out there and really great, amazing people to learn from. And um, it's a very humbling thing, but I think my motivator there is that at the end of the day, the work for me is the part that I know I can control. Like I know I can be influential to myself by just taking the work of it. You know, that's, to, to my 10 year old son, he'd argue with me that that's the hard part. And I say, that's the easy part, you know, like let's learn the material, let's put it into play and then let's see where it fits in without uh, being too much or the wrong uh, application, you know, in the, in the wrong setting. So it, it's an art form, <laughs> I'll say that. I imagine, yeah, fitting in, that's a good phrase. So you've got, you've got your strength coaches or your performance director of performance or whatever title the the strength conditioning specialist on the team is serving and you've got your athletic trainers and you've got your team physical therapist how did you fit in to that whole mix was were there some were there some rough edges that you felt or was it a fairly smooth integration and and how well do your roles overlap and integrate to the rest of the specialists on the team? Um, I think um, there's a lot of faith extended to me early on to let me come in and kind of demonstrate what I do and, and put my hands on people and um, learn to sort of cohabitate with all the other providers. And there's been moments where you know, maybe there's a little bit of territorial headbutting just for a few minutes, but pretty soon um, you realize you can all work well together and you can balance off of one another. And, you know, there's always enough work to go around. There's always enough injury. There's always enough, you know, you're just starting to grasp the, the need for full and appropriate recovery. Um, there's all sorts of areas where everyone can pitch in and work. And that's, that's the spot where I'm at right now. Um, they, you know, Buffalo's blessed with great physical therapists and trainers and uh, S&C coaches and Buffalo's uh, very like progressive. There's, there's one of every tool there and, and you don't lack for anything. It kind of spoils me, to be honest with you, because I'm a kid in a candy store and it's also what makes it great and makes it workable. You can bounce ideas off another provider. You can ask, how would you approach this? Or, you know, are you seeing the same 
breathing dysfunction that I am or you know this this centration pattern isn't happening the right way you know I see this as a hip issue but when I look deeper I see that it's a foot issue and we all speak the same language you know but different dialects you know yeah. everybody everybody is good about working together and um I think I owe a lot of credit to those folks for allowing me to come in I'm I'm in most cases the outsider um, and I've been in the the Buffalo system long enough where, you know, when I'm in Rochester with the Amherst, um, there's some of the equipment guys look at me like the legend, you know, it's funny, <laughs> but really we all work together and, and I'm just breaking in in Buffalo too. And every year is different, but really um, I think we all have the same goals. I think we want people to perform at their best. Um, we want people to understand full circle. It's not just about going out and playing tonight. You know, it, it's a 360 viewpoint on who is this athlete and how do they train and do they have any deficits or do they overtrain? Do they not recover well? And everybody just wants to be at their best to win. Like they all really want to win. One thing about this organization is we haven't had uh, an abundance of winning lately. <laughs> so we're all real motivated to bring our best and bring our A game to the table every day. And I think it lends to a really clean energy. And we love that. We thrive on it, really. Even when we're wiped out, that keeps us going, you know? Yeah. No, that's that's wonderful to hear. I'm thinking back, you, you mentioned that you went through the National Strength Conditioning Association to become certified as a strength conditioning specialist. Mm -hmm. And with your background in chiropractic medicine, did you come to an inner conflict? And what I mean by that is that, uh, because I experienced it myself, knowing that uh, strength and conditioning programs, conventional and historical, are based on three competitions, bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting, and powerlifting. And so we got those lifts from different sports and we're trying to fit them into hockey. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> right, and there's, 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 there's a critical point here is that those major lifts in those other competitions have a certain desired outcome. One is gross force production in powerlifting. Another one is just vertical displacement of explosiveness in Olympic li lifting. And with bodybuilding, it's more about the aesthetics of muscular definition and size. It doesn't necessarily mean that we do those movements and we're gonna build a better hockey player. But mm -hmm. you with your chiropractic background know that when the body gets into a more centrated balanced state, optimal performance can really happen. And so how did you find yourself in turmoil with, here's what I'm being taught with strength conditioning, but if we're just focusing on this, it's actually gonna pull them out of alignment, create more compensatory patterns and muscular imbalances if we're not careful, and therefore increase the rate of injury. How, how did you come to terms with that? Well, <laughs> I think with that, I learned an awful lot about loading and uh, multi-planar movement and gear shifting of energy systems is one of the things that was really drawing me to want to understand the CSCS 
better. Like I wanted to speak the language. So I knew how to take someone from the table to the gym and have them load into a deficiency. Now where I think Olympic lifts have their place, I think we're aware enough to modify that out. For instance, um, there's no steady state in hockey that really all the time benefits from a heavy back squat. You know, it's a, it's a more dynamic type of movement and that's where power and centration have to interplay well. So I think what pushes me that way is just managing stimulus and demand and how does, how does strength and conditioning blend into overall performance uh, and where the SNC folks in pro hockey in Rochester and Buffalo would come to me would be with um, like a, a pattern of aberrant firing or a painful arc, like a cumulative trauma disorder. And then we would load appropriately into that. Um, maybe not with a strict Olympic lift or a bodybuilding approach, but maybe something as low level as like a DNS or neuro reprogramming where we go back through ontogenetic staging and say, hey, you know, if you're unable to hold this three month supine position, you're not gonna be super great when you're lining up from the blue line to, to let a big slap shot go. And you're gonna see that translate into, you know, mid and low back pain, tight hips. Ultimately, you're gonna make up for that power somewhere. So, and I don't know if I'm answering you well, but- No, um, no, you are, that's great. Um, I think I would break people out of strict lifting parameters but use loading concepts as more of a corrective where the S and C side may tell me differently, <laughs> but again, it's, it's good. Cause that's where we interplay. Uh, we, we can in this environment go right from a treatment table from a uh, like hand getting contextual information on, on the athlete, you know, when do they see this? Or when did they notice it? When do I notice it? You know, how do we correct it? What are you seeing in the S and C room? You know, what are you seeing with the load here? What are we seeing with recovery? And uh, it's kind of a, you know, looking at the matrix of things <laughs> where all the different data points are coming in, just knowing what's the right application or can we do both here? You know, is there a place for me to go in and clean out the lumbopelvic hip complex with good ART or good, good uh, loading, you know, general loading, you know, uh, muscle balancing, if you will. Um, and then let's, let's now put some real load into this and see um, how does this do with your sprint or your sled pull, or can we just do a movement corrective here? Can we go through um, like a dynamic, um, you know, prepare to play sequence where we get more hip mobility in and correct it out that way. And that again is where we all sort of play well together and talk and, and communicate and sort of decide collectively, this one's for you or this one's not for you yet, you know? And, and I'm, I'm, you know, toward the latter end of that, but there's a hierarchy <laughs> and I'm there for the cleanup stuff. But um, that all starts with medical and S or uh, eight, our athletic trainers and SNC right on down through. So you have this spectrum from the sounds of it, from the acute off the ice, wanting to return to play all the way out to the highest level of um, strength conditioning that you're willing to put your players through. And 
there's different roles and different professionals all along that spectrum. And, and you're speaking, are you all speaking the same language? Like it's, it's, I'm just curious, like how, how well you mentioned communication, how flawless and how smooth do all the professionals speak together, especially considering that you come from so many different disciplines of thought? There's generally good overlap um, in terms of the, the basics, the broad topic issues. Yeah. And then sometimes we we have a conversation about a particular movement pattern or, or deficit that we see and realize that we're saying the same things with different languages. And we always come to an understanding and, you know, I, I'm you know, I'm going to steal here from Kevin Neal, who I think we may have been talking with you about, we want to try and make errors less. Yes. <laughs> so, like the, the nature of science is to eliminate variables. And, and whether we do that in one voice or whether we come to that realization, speaking a few different languages, we kind of see it all together. And then we can say sometimes if we're all if we all have our heads together on the same athlete at the same time, we can say, hey, let's maybe try a little bit of this or um, let's get away from maybe low back manipulation here and see where we're at with these hips. You know, let, what's going on upstream or downstream? And they're very good and open about workshopping and, and think tanking most things, I would say. I, I love your answers because they lead into more questions. And it's just wonderful to follow this trail through. So with that, you know, you, there, there's, there's certain mechanics that the body is going to try to achieve when on the ice. And therefore, there's probably going to be some common areas that compensatory patterns begin to emerge or, or muscular imbalances, joint restrictions, um, a lack of centration, however you want to frame it. What, what do you find in your role when it comes to like chiropractic adjustments or the ART work? What are the common, the, the common sites that you're typically going to go, okay, I'm going to check these first and then I'm going to go here and by gosh, every time I'm seeing this happen or that happen, there must be some commonalities. There are, I, and I will say that, um, uh, and I, I just had a term I, and I lost it. It'll come back to me. But um, I think that uh, it's common to see where shoulder and hips come into play. Like anything off sagittal in hockey, um, you need to have full canister, full sagittal stability. But then your dynamic off of that can become unilateral. If, if you know, I look at a lot of players, um, just their general posturing, their general like initial movement screening. And I usually can see deficits just with that. But I was actually having this conversation this morning. It's not always something I necessarily want to correct. For instance, if, if somebody's top hand, um, if their top hand is their left and their bottom hand is their right, and they're sailing pucks into the zone repeatedly for years and years and years, you're going to see that register in their patterning. And with that, you know, initially I might have said years ago, wow, I want to clean up those shoulders and their thoracic rotation must suck. And I'm going to be able to help with power and, and stamina and recovery and all of this. But then you realize that when the athlete has to dissociate, now that what I would initially see as an imbalance may play to their strength just based on their, their job. So 
again, I don't know if I answered your question, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but um, there's plenty of work to be done, you know, and uh, the strength and conditioning end of it um, is huge. And, and I'm there to kind of clean up the finite stuff. I think the wheelhouse of me um, is probably in the tissue work and, and certainly the chiropractic care. But I will also say for me, the chiropractic end of it is the easy end of it. You know, and I like to do ART because it's it's diagnostic and therapeutic for me. Like my global movement screen might be um, along the lines of an SFMA, but when we become more finite and, and I go through an ART diagnostic algorithm, you start to delineate really exact tissues and really exact movement patterns. And then you decide from there, is this what I want to correct or is this really telling me that that's the issue over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all roads lead home, you know, but some are faster than others. Sure, sure. But they all hopefully land in the same destination, no matter what vehicle you use to travel there, right? Yeah. So, but that's where some creative conversations are too. You yeah. Know, sometimes you you're looking at something and you're saying, hey, this hip is not right. This hip is not right. Let's load it. Let's do this. Let's clean it out. Let's give it rest. And then you look at it a different way. And, and I think the value of a good movement screen is telling you like, hey, you need to look at this knee issue. <laughs> Otherwise, this is just the, the present loading strategy of the athlete. You know, whether, it, you know, no matter whose fault it is, whether it's theirs or a compensatory thing from years before or a growth pattern issue, it, do we want to change the loading strategy? And when it's associated with dysfunction, we, we do. Whether my tool set is to get into a strength and conditioning aspect or to get into a tissue corrective or maybe a neuromotor corrective, you know? Yeah, and how much do you think, and this is just kind of more or less conjecture, but how much do you think the stick itself plays into um, compensatory patterns and muscular imbalances? I mean, just the fact that we have a favored side that you're always, even if you're holding onto the stick and racing down the ice, it's going to be in the same hand almost always. Rarely are you going to be switching over, except when you're reaching for the puck or something of that nature um, as a defenseman or something of that. But how much do you find or do you feel that just holding the stick is one of the contributing factors? I think it's a big contributing factor. I mean, all you have to do is change someone's stick to find out because <laughs> yeah. then they have to change with it, right? Um, same thing uh, just for me personally, if, uh, if I change to a different set of skates that have a different profile on the skate, um, that might require me to get into a more athletic stance or to get more into the middle of my blade to toe off properly and, and get power rather than to wash out. Um, so I think there's always correction to be done that way, but I think it's huge in hockey. If you change um, the length or the curve of a stick, you know, in professional hockey, those guys would adapt to that in a matter of minutes tops, you know, but for me, that would take me a month or more to get comfortable with. You know, so I, I'm sure it plays a huge role into it. Well, you bring up skates, too, because that's the other thing that I was thinking about. I mean, the foot, 26 bones, 33 joints encased and laced up in this in this pivotal. Honestly, this, this I would say maybe if you want to stretch it out, it would have two points of contact, the, 
but it's really just one thin line that's always contacting the ice. How do you, well, do you find that looking at the skates or foot motion, ankle motion, forefoot, rear foot, do you, how much do you take that into consideration when assessing movement in an athlete? That can be a very big one and is common. I mean, it, everything starts from the ground up. So if there's an issue with dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, um, that sort of thing, that can, you know, that's going to register the rest of the way up the kinetic chain for sure. It sometimes becomes an issue of, do you want to correct that out? And, uh, you know, the famous example is uh, Usain Bolt, you know, like he has all sorts of, you know, flaws in his running style, but is it productive to teach him to turn to the right? Not really. So some of those things you wouldn't want to change, you know, um, you know, I think with feet, it, it's really delicate. I think you have to have that ability or, or like a halysis rigididus is, you know, if that's left in, left in place, then everything reflects that over time. You start to give up powertrain. You start to see fascial slings change over time. You, you get into patterning that leads to other breakdowns. So it's kind of a, a Pandora's box or how far down the chain does this actually go? But something as simple as... Um, you know, if a skater likes to stay in an antiverted pelvis and they're in an athletic stance and they're skating, you know, hours and hours a day or hours and hours a week, their acetabulum is going to shut down early, whether there's a pincer or cam lesion there or not. And then how does their strategy change? Do they become more hamstring than glute driven? And can you address that with neuromotor features, like something as simple and straightforward as a breathing correction, you know, and it's, there's room for people like me to be in there. And that's where I have to get better over time. So again, I, I'm apologizing to you because I'm thinking out loud and I'm not sure if I'm ever getting to your questions, but. <laughs> no, doc, that's, no, that's, <laughs> I love it. No need for apologies. Yeah. I mean, that's just the metatarsal phalangeal joint of that first ray, that, that, that rigid big toe, as you mentioned, plays a tremendous part in hip function and power and explosiveness. And, sure. and, and I think that we're, we're, as an industry, starting to start looking south, looking downward at the complexity of the feet and understand what a pivotal part it plays, whether it's wrapped in a, an ice skate or on a, uh, in a track shoe or whatever. You bring up an interesting point. You keep on bringing these nice ideas, and and this conversation is just self-guided here, in the fact that you don't want to take a a multi-million-dollar athlete, world-class level hockey player, and start messing with what they do really well, right. and and sometimes we actually do that, and and for the kind of with the idea of the greater good. Like we wanted to reduce your injuries. We want to bring you more balance. We want to reduce how much torsion is being created in this direction, maybe do some counter rotation stuff. And then the next thing you know, their motor skill recruitment patterns or, or just their skill sets are going to diminish. Maybe that half second is lost on the ice when it, it shouldn't have been. Do, do you, how do you know? Like, when do you know? Hmm. Is it just through? I, I don't think it's just trial and error. I think maybe over time you've, you've discovered that. But how do you know when should I step in and when shouldn't I? 
always a delicate process for sure. Yeah. With no clean answer, but um, I think you get uh, you get some latitude seasonally. Like if you wanted yeah. to go in and really change a lumbo pelvic issue and work on it from the ground up, that's what your off season is for. But this time of year, for instance, um, most clubs probably aren't power training their athletes or getting them under the bar as much as monitoring load, trying to get through the end of a 80 or 82 game season before if, if you do it just right you play another two months of playoffs before you win the whole thing and um load management i think is really important um and and again it's contextual too like communicating with the players like how are you doing outside of the rink how are you doing you know with your family were you able to get out for a meal um you know and that leads to more interrelative conversations like, yeah, you know, I'm not sleeping great right now. And uh, this thing's nagging on me. And, you know, maybe you, you also find out that there's other stuff that that could be a contributor, you know, like going to the indoor driving range and putting a couple hundred balls out into the net that afternoon, you know, so I think communication is really huge. I think you get a certain leeway depending on what time of year it is. And then maybe you keep a a list of hierarchy, you know, say, Hey, you know, we, this, this skater has recurrent groin strain, you know, in the off season, maybe you want to break this down a little bit differently, or, um, you know, there's, there's a player or two where I wonder if they've really felt the full, um, sort of benefit of power. You know, the, um, I see some skaters once in a while that they're really dynamic, really highly highly skilled athletes but they're still growing right they're young men they're 19 they're 20 year old men and i wonder what what's he or she going to be like with another 15 pounds of muscle and a whole different kind of load and um different just powertrain you know like what could this athlete really be like would that be good for them or not and actually athletes will tell you a lot of them especially as they play longer they'll know like ah, i don't i don't do as well if i get above you know 212 215 pounds or or maybe i i'm not as uh effective when i'm under like 190 pounds out there like mm -hmm. you know so there's no clean answer for you um and it's not something that would be in my purview often um but collectively you know we we make notes we we have our feelings on different athletes and what their patterning might be or or really what their strategy is as you know in terms of high performance what is their strategy and that's where you can splinter that out into so many different areas and that's why i continually educate myself because there's always more you know it's sure. kind of again selfishly it's why i want more time with them too you know if, i feel like if i had this you know all on one, you know, neat little package. I could, I could be with the athletes almost year round and always have something more for them. But I think too, you have to be mindful of overcooking, you know, that that's uh chiropractic has taught me that really well too. There, there's a time and a place for your application. And then there's times for other methods and, and other ways of correcting people out. And on average, what's the average frequency that you will see one particular player on average a lot of it depends on their schedule um i'm in buffalo uh two to three times a week when they're home and i'm in rochester a few times a week when they're home and 
if I'm doing it right, I'm in Buffalo three days a week. It doesn't mean I'll see a player three times in a row. I generally don't. Um, in fact, um, if I'm seeing somebody too often and they're not getting the right result, then, then I want to look at it differently again. Um, which isn't to say some people don't get regular care or have something that lingers, especially with a tissue item that maybe takes a little bit of time, but um, it's under analysis constantly. But generally, if, if the world's going right, I'm in Buffalo three days a week, I would say is ideal. Yeah, very good. I know you, you mentioned adductor strains or groin pulls. I'm curious, um, I, I would, it would surprise me if you actually had like a protocol that was symptom-based because every player is going to be different in terms of their mechanics, but the symptoms may often appear uh, similar. But when it comes to just that, one of the most prevalent kind of aggravations or injuries, I guess you'd say in the NHL, the adductor strains, how do you address that? What, what are the things that you're looking for? And it may not just be around the, the pelvic, pelvic region. You know, are mm -hmm. you looking further up the chain or down the chain? What, what would take me through what your approach is when you have somebody like that? Generally, I look at their initial alignment and their movement capacity. You know, are they, are they movement competent? Are they dumping their pelvis out or uh, dropping into a hip or steering over a painful area? So, I always have some type of abbreviated movement screen. Um, from there, I usually will start working on some tissue because the tissue itself tells a tale for me. I've been involved with ART for a long, long time and been using ART for well over 20 years now. And um, I get a lot of feedback from working through tissue. Um, I think the first step of that is getting used to palpation and handling tissue but then you get a pretty clean sense over time and experience uh, when something's dysfunctional or fibrotic or um, just out of balance um, for sure so that, tell me your question again rocky real quick <laughs> uh, just when you when you encounter a player with an adductor strain what what's the approach to to sussing out the issues okay so I will definitely do the diligence of walking through the lumbopelvic hip complex uh, 360 degrees. So I will definitely at least walk myself uh, through low back hips, lower extremity, lower quadrant up front, psoas iliacus, adductor compartment, and, and go through that bilaterally so I can see and learn along the way. And that's usually the proving ground. I'll find something along the way that is either reproductive or provocative to the complaint. And then we try to do a nice job of addressing that full circle and then have them move again. Is this any better? Is it different? Am I off my rocker here? Or did I miss something completely? And, you know, manual therapy is really tell you if you're gaining ground or not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's easy generally to find an issue or an imbalance to work on. But from there, certainly you have to look upstream, downstream, and then again, get into the context of this athlete. Like, was this an injury? Was this a, a direct contact blunt force trauma? Is this a repetitive strain? Is this just a postural loading factor? Like, why is this happening to this athlete? And then arcing over all of that is, you know, if you're not seeing change, if you're not seeing improvement with what you're doing, you know, certainly by the 
the third session of a, a tissue related approach, um, you should know if, if you're on the right, you know, situation or not and reassess, you know, and then look at other, other things too. Like I keep blending that in, I guess, but, uh, that's, what's so cool about being in a professional sports environment. Cause you have all of that at your disposal, you know, in my office, I'm in my office and I have certain set of tools you know when i go to one of the arenas and work with one of the professional sports teams i have every tool that's out there you know and some are good and some aren't so great and some are, are good a lot of the time and some are great for certain uses but that's where it makes such good sense that we have a great team you know with our ats and and our physical therapists and snc guys everybody has something to contribute and are you mainly home-based in terms of the Buffalo, uh, Rochester area, or do you travel with the team when it's uh, away games? I'm mainly home-based in, in my current situation. I've traveled with teams before. Um, I've been actually lucky, again, as I said earlier, to be in this setting because I've been able to work in several levels of professional soccer, professional lacrosse, um, certainly hockey, um, all for you know, 19 or 20 years now. And um, it, it's just been a really interesting thing to see the evolution of sports and sports performance and so many different types of sports too, and different types of athletes. And, um, you know, I've traveled a little bit with some of the teams in the past, and that may be something that we get to carve out down the road a little bit more. But right now, um, I'm sort of a good uh, performance end person in the Sabres organization because Rochester is their farm system. Uh -huh. So um, I see all the players making their way to Buffalo and all the players in Buffalo um, pretty regularly. And I get a good comparison of those players over time. You know, players that come through Rochester to Buffalo and players that directly come to Buffalo, most of them are there for several years. So we develop a really good working relationship. I get to see them mature and become better athletes and, and address those deficits that we may find, you know. But I hope to travel some more down the road. Right now, uh, my kids are 10 and 9, and my, my <laughs> wife is super cool and understanding, but that would be a big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't push that button. No, right, no, no. Right? So uh, what are the things that you're exploring now? If, if there are some, some educational courses, some books or, or information, what's, what's kind of exciting you in terms of your learning path? Ah, well... With COVID, I've been able to dive into some podcasts like yours, and uh, um, I really want to know more about uh, neuromotor programming. I really kind of try to geek out on flow state right now, and just I like the nature of that it, I'm infantile in my my education and my application of it, but I just think it's a whole other level of performance that you know, 25 years ago, nobody was really talking about. And now there's, there's tons of information out there and just a whole different way to be effectual to people and in, in, in our main goal, which is performance, you know? So what I certainly love what I do and I'm, I still dive into uh, mechanical techniques and um, the neuromotor stuff is super cool to me just to know that, uh, Again, like, hey, you, you're strong this way. You just need to tell your your brain that you need a little bit more of that. And you're probably doing that because of that issue over there. 
that's such a cool way to ferret out problems for me and to correct them. And, um, you know, I think I'll be better at doing that than explaining that. I have so much crap in my head. It's hard for me sometimes to, to, you know, put in a good descriptive terms. Here's why I'm doing this and why and how, and, you know, luckily again, the people around me have known me long enough where they, they give me good leeway that way. That's great. <laughs> Doc, this has just been so fun. I really, I love the, the conversation that we've had and how it flowed. And uh, I, I just, yeah, if nothing else, I can't wait to listen back to this and uh, before it gets posted, because I, I know that I'll just pick up more. And just that's, that's kind great. of for my learning process. The more I get washed over, the, the more things start to cling to me. So I can't thank you enough for your time and, and your your patience with me and my questions and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I loved it. And uh, it's a learning process for me and, and I'm real happy to do it. And if you ever want to talk again, um, I'm going to tell you what Carol Dietz told you. We'll get together for a beer. And, there we uh, go. <laughs> we, I'd love to meet up someday and uh, further the conversation. Without a doubt. And that brings this episode of the Zealous Podcast to a close. Uh, I just want to thank Don for coming on and sharing what he's been doing with the Sabres and, for that matter, all the other teams he's been training and working with. And I look forward to our next conversation. Won't be down the road too far, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on every weekly episode. And follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. And just uh, check out our website while you're at it, RockySnyder.com, to find out if I'm going to be in your area in terms of presentations or other speaking engagements. Have a great week.